Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. All right, if you have your Bibles with you in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to pick up where we left off quite a while back, over a month ago. So uh, we will, I'll do a little bit of a review to help, help you to understand where we have been. But let me pick up with 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. Young, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, let me just kind of do a, a brief kind of review of what we've di- been dealing with in First Peter. First Peter deals with the persecuted church. Uh, Peter is writing to churches in Asia Minor, and he is encouraging them because they are beginning to to gain more and more persecution because of their faith in Christ. Now, chapter 5, well, actually the last few chapters have been dealing with submission to authority. In all the persecution, what we as humans want to do is lash out when somebody attacks us, right? That's our natural response. But what Peter is telling them, what God is telling them through Peter is that they need to submit to authority. They need to submit to the kings, the authority of the kings. They don't have to like the king, but he has a position, a God-given position over them, and they are to respect that position of authority over them. They are also to respect their masters whom they serve, even if they do not treat them in a godly way. And then... Uh, chapter 4 dealt with also respecting your spouses, your wives. So you need to eat in any way, whether they treat you in a godly way or not, you're to respect those positions. And now Peter is focusing on submitting to godly authority. If you go back to the first four verses of chapter 5, let me just read those quickly because they deal with me or people like me, pastors or elders of the church. Therefore, I exhort uh, the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So now, picking up verses 5 through 7, the scriptures are telling us that the congregation, the people of the church, are to submit to the authority of the pastor or elder. But you've got to go back to verses 1 through 4 and understand the role of the elder. He is not to be domineering. He is not to be a dictator. He instead, verse 3 says, yet not lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock, just as Jesus is the key example. And we're going to see how we're supposed to serve together. So picking up in verse 5, likewise, young men, Peter is dealing with 
the congregation and you say, well, young men and elders. Well, the picture is that you got an older man leading a congregation and there's a bunch of younger men being a part of the congregation. But if you look at the scriptures, the word for younger is neos, which means new, neo means new, which basically means new Christians. So we know that uh, Paul appointed Timothy, a very young person, to be an elder, a pastor over several different churches. So the word elder does not necessarily mean an older person. It means a more mature person in the faith. And then the younger basically just means less mature in the faith. So the, the position of a pastor elder is to be the one who is more mature in the faith and who gives guidance and instruction to those who are growing in the faith. In the last part of verse five, it says, be subject to your elders. As a pastor submits to the authority of Christ over him, so must those who submit uh, serve him that he serves submit to his uh, leadership over them. There again, go back to verse three, where it says, not to lord over them. I have not been given a position to be your dictator. I am not here to order you of how you ought to live. I'm here to set an example and to show you what the scriptures say. And so that is the key thing. So therefore, those in the church are to submit uh, to the example of Christ that you are supposed to see in your leader. Now, it's been a while since I've said this, but I mean it with all my heart. If I have not failed you yet, I will sometime. Because I'm human. I am not God. I am not in a position where I am the one to, to lord over you. I'm not your dictator. I'm a human just like you. And I have failed pretty much all of y'all somewhere along the way. Uh, just be honest with you. And I try to serve in a, in a spirit of humility. I try not to be a lordship over anybody. But I look at, you know, different, you know, religions. You have the, the Muslims that have the Imans that are very dictatorial over how they rule the, their, their people. You have the Catholics where you cannot even get forgiveness unless you go to a priest and ask for forgiveness. They have extreme power and authority over their congregations. That's not the way the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that your elder, your pastor must serve with humility as Christ exampled his life, Jesus lived an entire life based on humility, ministering to others in need, always stooping down to their level instead of lording over them. And that's the example I'm to follow. So basically, as a congregation, you're not really submitting to me, you're submitting to the image of Christ that I'm supposed to be portraying for you. So you have really two different sides that are not good in a pastor or elder. One is the dictator who basically orders and expects everybody to follow his uh, exact words. Then you have those in the congregation that won't do anything unless they're told to do something. They're the milk toast. They're the ones who say, you know, well, unless my pastor says I need to do this, I'm not gonna do it. And so you, you got kind of two different extremes. And then you've got those that always question the authority of the pastor. And to be honest with you, some pastors need their authority questioned. 
Hopefully that's more of an exception to the rule, but under God's instructions, the congregation should submit to a God-given position of authority of the pastor or elder. Then we look at the last part of verse five. It says, clothe yourselves in humility. Just as God hates pride in a pastor or elder, he also hates pride in the congregation. Pride has no place in the life of a Christian, no matter what position you have, whether you're a pastor or a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, uh, just a lay person in the church. Pride has no place. Uh, Humility, again, was modeled by Jesus. It's supposed to be modeled by the pastor. It's also to be modeled by the followers, the people of the congregation. Now, someone wants to find humility this way. Humility is not demeaning ourselves and thinking poorly of ourselves. It is simply not thinking of ourselves at all. Think about that for a second. It's not thinking, demeaning ourselves or thinking poorly of ourselves. It's simply not thinking of ourselves at all. In other words, the more we focus our attention on others and minister to others and see their needs, the less we focus on self. So if we struggle with submitting ourselves Uh, to humility, then we probably have a problem. So serving the Lord in humility is really the only true way to serve. Now, we're still in verse five, towards one another, clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. Now, to be humble is a difficult thing because as soon as you think that you're humble and say that you're humble, then you're prideful. Think about that for a second. Humility is a spirit of heart. It is how you live as a child of God. And that's how we're supposed to do this. And humility always has an object. And it's not me. It's not you. It is others. Humility is seeing needs and ministering in the spirit of love, the spirit of Christ towards those who are around. Now, we're really talking about the church. The the scriptures always tell us that We as a church need to be ministering outside the church, but right here, we're really focusing on the congregation. We need to always be humbly ministering towards one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. If we see someone in in our congregation that's struggling with an issue, we do anything and everything that we can to minister. Um, I I don't know if if any of y'all know who Rick and Bubba are on the radio. There are two kind of comedic uh, Christian men who have a uh, radio show. And way back when one of the hurricanes hit uh, Florida, a year later, a lady was complaining that she still didn't have uh, electricity. She still didn't have uh, several different things. And she was asking for help. And Bubba says, she obviously was not a member of a Baptist church or they would have taken care of it. And, you know, there is some truth there. We strive to minister to our own. And when there is a need, we will, we will do anything that we possibly can to meet that need. So being humble towards one another. Now we're still in verse five. The last part of verse five says, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is opposed to the proud. He doesn't like it. He hates the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, if you want 
to, we can go through several verses. Now I'm just gonna go ahead and do it anyway. This passage found in this last part of verse five is actually a quote from Proverbs chapter three, verse 34, but it's also found in quite a few other passages. Uh, Proverbs 3.34 says, Though he scoffs at the scoffers, he gives grace to the afflicted. So just using a few different words than what we find here. Uh, Psalm 138 verse 6 says, For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Matthew chapter 23 verse 12. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Then James chapter four, verse six, actually quotes this same passage. But he gives greater grace, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So surely as a child of God, we must understand that pride is a sin. It's sinful, but humility is expected of God. So let us keep our attitudes in check. May we always strive to keep a humble spirit serving the Lord. Then we finally get into verse six. It says, under God's mighty hand, humble yourselves. Uh, if there's any doubt about God's position on humility, this really clears it up. See, we as children of God are under God's mighty hand. He has total authority over us. Now his mighty hand can be seen in a lot of different ways. It can be seen in his ways that he ministers to us, meets our needs. The greatest way is his gift of grace and mercy through his son, Jesus Christ. That is God's mighty hand coming to us to save us from our sinfulness. But God's mighty hand can also bring discipline. When we turn our backs on God, when we disobey God, he can and will chastise us or discipline us as his children. So as we humble ourselves before the Lord, we're to serve and to live in obedience because God's mighty hand is the ultimate authority over us that we must submit to. Now, the second part of verse six says, and he will exalt you. Now, as we live obedient lives, God wants to bless us. He wants to bless us. God never just says, you know, I really just don't like Steve. I'm just gonna give him a hard time for the rest of his life. God wants to bless his children. And as we live obedient lives, then blessings come to us, not in necessarily the ways that we think. Sometimes God does bless us materially, but that's not normally his way, but he does bless us with his peace, his promises, his uh, ministry, his caring, his mercy, his grace, all these attributes of God, he blesses us through those. Now there's one way that God will exalt us. It's not now, it's later. When we have fulfilled our ministry here on earth, God, if we have been faithful to him, will one day look at us and say, well done. Well done. I don't know about y'all, but coming from God, that's amazing. But God wants to be able to say that to us. And then verse six says, and at the proper time. How many of y'all like microwaves? Man, you just push a couple of buttons and you know, 30 seconds later, something's hot. It's amazing. We are a society that desires instant gratification. We want what we want when we want it, right? Now, when we do something good, we're ready for the congratulations and that boy and the, and the rewards immediately, right? You know, God doesn't always work that way. 
Now, God does bless us. It's amazing how many of God's blessings we take for granted. You, you find out how many of God's blessings you will miss out on when you start disobeying him. And you'll say, ooh, where, where's, where's that peace and comfort that I used to have? It's not there anymore because I'm being disobedient to God. But God blesses us here on earth. But the greatest blessing will be in the proper time in the future when we stand before the Lord. If you go back to verse four, where he's talking about the elders, he says that we will receive an unfading crown of glory. Not, not the laurel wreath that fades and falls apart over time that the uh, athletes would get after winning a race, but an unfading crown of glory that God will give us. So we look and we see that it, as we serve in humility, God desires to bless us. Now, verse seven says, casting all your anxieties on him. The word anxiety basically means being pulled apart, being pulled apart, being ripped apart. Now that's what fretfulness, worrying, anxiety causes. So when we look at this, uh, it's the effect of not being in control. Now, here's the problem. How many of you are in control of every aspect of your life? Not a single one of us. How many of you know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow or even the rest of the day? We have no clue. Even if you did, do you know that you probably wouldn't have all the resources to deal with what is going to happen? So here's the situation. We either don't know what's going to happen or we do know what's going to happen and can't do anything about it. And so we find ourselves worrying, being fretful, being anxious in life. Why? Who is ultimately in control of our lives? God. God is. So if you look through the scriptures, let me just share a few. Philippians chapter four, verse seven, verse six says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Matthew chapter six, verse 27 says, and who of you by being worried can add a single hour of his life? Go back to the Old Testament, Isaiah 41, 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's what God wants to do. He wants to lift us up. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to hold us in his mighty right hand and surely he will help us. So is there any reason for us to be anxious about anything? Because if God is in control, then God will give us the wisdom, knowledge, guidance, understanding everything that we need to know what to do in every situation. In the New Testament, some of the disciples were facing being arrested and being brought before the magistrates and having to, quit to answer the questions about their faith and why they are evangelizing, why they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus told them, do not worry about what you're going to say. My father will give you the words. The spirit of God will give you what to say. And so as long as we're living a surrendered life unto the Lord, trusting that his Holy Spirit who lives in us will guide us and work through us, then we really have nothing to be anxious about. But God knows that we're anxious creatures. According to 
people who have actually gone through the Bible and underlined all the fear nights and the things that relate to fear night, there's 365 fear nights, one for every day of the year. Yep, that means that God knows that we are fearful people, that we have this inbuilt anxiety as humans, and that he is saying, I've got this covered. So we do not need to be anxious. Even if we suffer, we need to know that God's in control. Now, the last part of verse 7 says, because he cares for you. Has God ever lied to you? Well, according to this, verse 7 says that God does not want us to be anxious because he cares for us. That means that God actually does care about you individually, not just as a group, but individually. Uh, so throughout his word, he consistently and constantly shows his willingness to care and love us as his people. Uh, he may allow trials to come into our lives, trials that make us wonder what's happening. And when we start examining our lives, we realize, okay, this trial is because I'm being disobedient. And God is using this trial to bring me back to the center of his will. Or sometimes we see in uh, James chapter 1 that God allows trials to test our faith. It says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you face these diverse trials, for they produce the perfecting of your faith. They produce perseverance. They help us to grow spiritually. So when we go through trials, we must not say, God, I don't like you anymore. You're letting me go through a trial. Well, there's usually only two reasons for a trial. Either we're being disobedient and God's using it as a way of correcting us, or he is using it as a way to strengthen us, to test our faith. But he does care for us. He wants to bless us. He wants to show his mercy and grace. And so we just simply need to live each and every day trusting God by faith. So just kind of wrapping things up, submission, humility, and faith are the foundations of a strong Christian life. We need to submit to those that God has placed us under their authority. I must submit to Christ. You must submit to Christ. I must submit to the mighty right hand of God as you do. God's placed me in a position here at First Baptist as the pastor, elder, whatever terminology you want to use. I am not to lord over you. I'm to be used by God to instruct you in his word. Um, I'll be honest with you, you know, when you look at the scriptures, the, the position of the elder is a mature Christian ministering to less mature Christians. I'll be honest with you, in a church uh, with as many senior adults, I'm... I have feeling some of y'all may know more than I do. So I have to be very careful about, you know, touting my, you know, seminary experience and all this stuff. You know, seminary is only as good as what you put in and what you let come out. It better be God-led. But we look and we see that we all must submit to the positions that God has placed us under authority. And we need to serve humbly. There's no place for me to be a... a, a a prideful person, there's no place for me to be a dictator. And the same goes for each and every one of us. We need to humbly serve those around us. And we just need to simply live by faith in our almighty God who holds us in his right hand. And obedient faith will always enable us to do God's will. 
Hard part is living it. You know, we, we can go through it. I can proclaim it. I can preach it. But the hardest part is living it. So as always, let's strive to apply what we've heard today from God's Word into our lives.